This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Mike Seidel, co-founder and CTO at PivotCX. Through the hardest thing in all of this was that we held on to what we were doing originally for too long. We did our first little foray into doing chat in 2018. And had we been paying attention to that, we could have made the pivot that we ended up making because we got an extreme slap in the face from the market with COVID. If we had been listening right now, you know, I almost hate to say this and I hope none of my investors are listening, but if we had heard that from the market two, three years ago, it's almost frightening to think about how successful this, this would already be. What I did did learn from all this is probably the best way to be prepared is to really focus on making sure what you're doing is business critical. If you're doing something that's valuable, it will become more valuable when resources are clean. If you're doing something that's extra, it will be extra when things are lean and probably get cut. This is Mike. He's a man of many talents with an entrepreneurial mindset. In his past, he founded White River Technology Group, Indie Associates, professional blog services, and virtual payment systems. Today, he's the CTO at PivotCX, a company that's on a mission to help companies respond to every job candidate in seconds. The results? Recruitment teams will be able to handle four to six times current candidate volume, improving higher quality, and most importantly, deliver an award-winning candidate experience. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Mike to my podcast. We explore the journey that they've been through and how COVID became their wake-up moment. We discussed the big lessons learned in bringing their solutions to market and what it means and requires creating solutions that customers not only need, but also want. A solution that grows in value as things get tough. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, the importance to start paying attention to the early signals from customers that you're on the wrong track instead of listening to your own stories. Secondly, how shifting focus from selling cost savings to giving your customers a position of advantage in the eyes of their customers can be the difference from having no traction to winning 8 out of 10 deals. Thirdly, why we often think we are smarter than everybody else and why that doesn't help at all. And fourthly, 
How small ideas can mean the difference between having 10 users and 10,000, and how to find them. Hi, Mike. Thank you for making the time today and be a guest on my podcast. Well, thank you very much, Ton, for having me. I've I'm, been I'm really looking forward to this for the last week. Oh, good. That's promising. Well, I mean, your company, PivotCX, that's what the conversation is going to be all about, of course. I've been looking, doing a little bit of research and a couple of ideas came up from earlier podcasts that have been in the, around the recruitment space. And yeah, it's always interesting to see how this space particularly evolves. Got a little bit of a connection with it from the past. I mean, we used to do the HR type suites, the back office, and we were always partnering with companies in the, in the recruitment space. So I know a little bit about it. But before we start, I'm always interested to know a little bit about the person behind the company. So if you would have to describe yourself in two or three words, what are the characteristics that pop up as an entrepreneur or as a person? I like making a difference for other people. It's why I do what I do. Love it. Dear to my heart, making a difference. Actually, I think we not sure what it was in the pre- previous company, but it was sort of a tagline and possibly is even be, be a theme of one of our sales kick- kickoffs and so on. So yeah, making a difference is dear to my heart. And I think it sem- perfectly sums up what software needs to be all about. We are, we are too obsessed with focusing on the competition, where at the end, all, everything we need to do is help our customers make a difference and the rest will follow. So talking about your company, what was the big idea behind it when you started this in 2015? Okay, when we started, we had this idea that everybody had mobile phones, we had GPS, and we could make this really, really great job search application that let you find jobs, putting them on a map, and making it so you could pull your phone out and go find out who's hiring right nearby me. We built an app that a lot of people called really Yelp for jobs, and we took it to market and you know got it out there, ran really hard for about four years, and then COVID hit. Oh, really? <laughs> so... Yeah, I can imagine COVID wasn't your best friend, but everybody just cuts and says, well, actually you're out rather than you're in. So what happened? So, well, when February hit last year, we knew it was going to be bad news. And then in March, we lost 80% of our revenue. Everybody just stopped recruiting and then they would call and cancel. And so we had an entrepreneur's nightmare, if you will, in March and most of April. And it made us really rethink everything about what we were doing and, and we realized that that original idea wasn't making a difference for our, our users. They, they didn't need us anymore. How did you go about and how did you, yeah, 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 I would say pivot to find that angle again that did resonate and that did help you make a difference for the people that you serve? We had started doing chat for some of the companies that we sold our original product to. And we were doing that because it was the most effective way to engage with job seekers. Like 91% of people will read a text message, whereas you're lucky to get 20% of people to even open your emails. So we knew by using text messages that it was a good way to communicate. And we realized that that customers that stuck with us were all using our chat service. And so we looked at that and go, what if we pivoted our entire existence and everything we did around chat? And so in April, we started writing a whole new software platform and then when we got to November, we started selling and we're lucky enough to sign some really, really nice accounts to use our new software. And it, just to give you an idea of the difference, in just the first month of this year, we've sold more than we sold in all of 2020. And that includes a good start to last year. COVID didn't really hit us till March, but yeah. we're already doing it better. So what is the essence then of your 
of your platform because chatbots or chatting is is quite a wide area. It, I think also has got a, a bad name because a lot of times, like yeah, I mean you you, you get you get the chatbot on the website and it doesn't understand you. And I've seen it myself when I was working at Unit 4, we started to create our assistant, Wanda. And in the beginning, I mean, we have had laughs at the user conference where she just started to talk a completely different language and in responding in mm-hmm. ways that was completely out of context. So, so, so what did you find that yeah, hit the right nerve of your customers and, of course, the market again? That made it kind of take off again. Okay. So a little bit about chatbots. So back when we started doing chatting, I actually invested about a half million dollars into writing a chatbot. And we ended up scrapping it because the experience that the job seekers were having talking to the chatbot was universally horrible. One day we did a shootout between interns and the chatbot. And the interns were three times more likely to get a job applicant to an interview, whereas most people were just abandoning their search when they were talking to the bot. So we fired the chat bot and I'm, I'm still in fear that one day an AI somewhere is going to tell me to turn my car so I uh, run off a cliff for some other kind of AI nightmare. But we fired the chat bot back then and we went with humans and the chat platform that we built really is all around the whole idea of making it possible that everybody who applies to a job with your company can talk to a live human every time. And by doing that, we solve a lot of, you know, back to really what's our mission. And it really is to fix recruiting for both the employer and for the job seeker. And what we're doing is we're restoring the human to human conversation yep. that has just been missing from that, that whole recruiting experience or job seeking experience for probably the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, I agree. And of course, in bad times and good times, you always get the bulk of the work and it's, I mean, one of the things that I remember from the recruitment space was that it typically was about automating the dill, the dill part of it, getting through all the applications, and then hopefully mm-hmm. bringing it down to a manageable chunk. But that experience for those that are in the 95% that, are, that don't make it is a horrible thing. So, okay. Yeah, so most of them, the only thing that... Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry about that. No, the thing that most people get is a vaguely worded letter after the fact saying they're not being considered for the job. And a lot of times they don't even remember applying. No, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a really bad experience. I agree. So you use this technology to level out, to do the first level of, of interaction, and then it's, it's passing it on to the right, to the right human. Of course, the pivot was, was very recent. And by the way, I've never started a podcast if I pivot so quickly into this conversation. Sure. <laughs> what do you believe you, well, in, in that whole journey of developing it and finding that new, that new niche and sweet spot of the problem? What did you do specifically to make it a remarkable experience for your customers? Well, so we had been doing chat for a while. So we we actually were operating our, our own chat team here. That was really helpful because I have a bunch of customers in a room that I can go to and, and learn from to make yeah. the right product. And so we, we really spent a lot of time analyzing, you know, how, how do you do chat the right way in a recruiting conversation and what's important to the job seeker, what's important to the recruiter. And what we found out was what recruiters needed was very different than what you might need in a sales call center or a customer support contact center. And a lot of the technology that was being used to enable chat for recruiters was the same thing that you would use to enable your tech support team. Yeah, true. 
if it can shed, it can shed to anything. And that's, of course, completely wrong. So what were the big aha moments for you where you say, hey, wait a minute, this is an area where if we focus on it, we can own it? Well, the, the first moment was looking at how you actually start a conversation with a candidate. So we learned very quickly that the right way to do that is whenever somebody applies for a job, wherever they apply. And so we integrated with the major job boards. We plug into ZipRecruiter. We plug into Indeed. We plug into a lot of applicant tracking systems so that whenever somebody applies, no matter where that is, that can trigger that conversation to happen. So that was one big moment. The second big moment was when we realized that a lot of the models for managing the conversation that were used in traditional contact centers just don't work really well for recruiters. You know, what matters to a job seeker is that they get quick answers and can move through that initial screening process quickly. Yeah. And most of the software was built to manage the metrics of the contact center agent. So the first problem we would run into with traditional chatting software was that it would try to assign a conversation to a chat agent. And if that chat agent wasn't available, it would make the candidate wait until the chat agent was available. And, and so we built an entirely different team model for handling conversations so that, you know, multiple recruiters could field the candidates and give the candidate a great experience every time. So those two things together really made our software unique. And it's just been amazing to watch as we've taken it to market and watching us be able to just you know, I think we're in our sales pipeline. We've closed 80% of the opportunities we had in December already. And we're looking at, you know, if we have an 80% close rate, that's a, you know, a home run for a software business. I know. I know. I mean, this is what I address in the book. It's typically those things that there's lagging indicators and the kind of, it's also, how do I call it? The stories that you tell yourself, the compl complacency that, okay, well, 20% in this market is, is good enough because we're selling a commodity and so on. Wrong, wrong answer. <laughs> Everybody can have 80%, 90% win rates if you, if you have the right focus on the, on the right type of customer and you solve the right problem. So good for you. Good to hear that. But the funny thing at the end is that you say we've been, we started in 2015 we worked for, well, we had a solution. We worked for four or five years, four years, good, good four years. And yeah, of course, then this hit. And of course, well, at some point, people will come out of the crisis again and people start to hire, hire again. I think that's already happening. But you didn't go back to that old model. So, no. so the question at the end is, how would you be able to have identified it way earlier on? Was it really required to have COVID telling you? <laughs> Well, there's a component to building companies that I think is underrated, which is timing. And it's the hardest thing to get because that's the one thing you can't control. You can have the greatest idea in the world. You can have all the money you need to execute on it. And if you yeah. bring it to market at the wrong time, it's never going to work. And the, the time was up on our old idea. We weren't able to get the traction that we needed to get. And to be honest with you, it felt like the company was a zombie for about one year before COVID hit. And then when that happened, it became a catalyst for, you know what, we, we've still got some gas in the tank. We've got a good team. We, we have this problem we've identified and solved. And we have these customers that are, our, our customers in our old product were kind of happy, kind of happy. But our customers where we were doing that chat service loved it. And so we knew we had something there. 
And so we just kind of kept, you know, it was like, like the old cartoon where somebody grabs the little tab on a sweater and starts pulling and then the sweater comes apart. We knew if we kept pulling at the sweater, it would come apart and we would have something really great. And so we just figured, you know what, not a lot of great things are going to happen in 2020. Let's use this year to reset everything, maybe come out with a new product and, and see what happens. And so we're right at the point where we're taking stock of what happened and, I would say on every business metric that there is to evaluate what we've done, I think we've done the right thing. The new product is the right one. It turns out there were a couple of players in the recruiting cat space that sold the bigger companies in 2019. And during 2020, they became highly integrated with their parent, with their buyer. And now their addressable market consists of just the user base for that bigger company that bought them. And so now we're in this, this market where the competition has all been acquired and we have a product that really does a great job of enabling recruiting teams to do chat with SMS and we're adding voice and video to the product over the next 90 days. We're, we're going to have a really unique offering in our, in the HR tech space, which is really exciting, but probably, probably more than anything, what we're seeing from our, our users, the recruiters that use us is that they're able to deliver a better experience to all their candidates and there's less work for them to do at the end of the day because the chat system is doing a good job of managing the conversation. And honestly, Tone, chat is so much more efficient for a recruiter than phone calls and emails. It True. takes a lot less time to get the work done. They, you can handle five, six conversations at the same time with chat. I can only talk to one person at a time on the phone and I have to get them to answer it. So we, what we've yeah. been doing is really helping our, our users transform their business. And I think if anything, COVID really helped that too, because everybody is now used to a different way of communicating digitally. You know, we're, That's for sure. we went into COVID, you know, this kind of thing that we're doing right now even was exceptional for most people. And now everybody's been Zooming and, and talking online and doing conferences online. And the whole idea of, maybe talking to somebody via chat first is more natural than it was a year ago. What what makes me curious, do your companies see the value mostly in the cost savings that they can create with it? Or is it far more about the experience and the upside of it? This has been the fun part for me. I thought that the cost savings story would be the one that all of our, our customers cared the most about. And what we're finding is that what they care more about than anything is delivering a better experience. Because the job market is highly competitive, even though COVID hit, it's highly competitive out there. And a lot of companies take two weeks, four weeks, six weeks to make a hire. And if we put that chat process in at the beginning, first of of all, every candidate gets this, you know, you applied on Indeed and within a couple minutes, you're already talking to somebody about that opportunity. Let me make a small interruption here. Mike just made a critical remark that became the pivotal moment in their journey and a turning point for their business. Just the sheer fact they automate a process doesn't mean the value is cost-saving related. For their ideal customers, it's the opposite, providing them with a position of advantage previously unattainable. This is a trait remarkable software companies master. They look at the broader picture and connect the dots to where their solution is really moving the needle. And this enables them to sell the idea not the product, communicate their true value, create desire in the market, and with that, grow momentum. You can master these traits as well, and I have two options for you to start. First, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect, 
and you can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueofinspiration.com. Back to the interview. That's a lot different than the old experience of I apply on Indeed or LinkedIn. And then, you know, two weeks later, a recruiter tries to call me and I missed the call because I looked at it and I thought that it was, you know, somebody calling me to sell me a warranty on my car. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah, it's, so, it's in the experience. And if you can, so what I expected then is that they see it more of a, yeah, to create a position of advantage against the others that are after the same people. Because everybody wants yeah. the best people. Yeah. Everybody wants the best people. And the, the one metric that makes all the difference in your ability to hire them is the, the speed that you engage with those candidates. And, all right. you know, our average time, and this is something that I, I'm, I'm really proud of this because I think this makes all the difference. The average time it takes between when somebody applies for a job and when they are talking to a live human through our system across our chat teams and our customers that do their own chatting is under two and a half minutes. So we're taking something where two, three weeks down to two minutes. Yeah. And it's top of mind. You're in the right mood. And yeah, that in itself is remarkable because people don't expect it. <laughs> yeah. Guess, well, guess what happened to me? Yeah, well, a ton of most people don't even, by the time the recruiters get around to calling the candidates, they don't even remember half the time that they applied for the job. That's how bad it is. And then the other half of them have taken a job somewhere else. And sometimes they've been fired already. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Yeah. They all, so it's been, it's been fun. Yeah, I can imagine. Do you also see that this helps to get the quality of the hiring itself, like kind of figuring out whether there's the right fit culturally? Does this technology help in that respect as well? It's really hard to measure some of the quantitative things like this, but yeah. we're pretty sure what we're seeing is a lot of the better candidates that ordinarily would step out of a hiring process are staying in it. A lot of your better candidates are going to judge your company based on how you interact with them. So by treating every customer really well and getting back with them quickly and talking and letting them know where they stand in the process and all those things that we try to do in a chat conversation, we're definitely delivering on that. And what we're seeing with a lot of our employers is that they're filling their positions with better quality candidates than they had before. The other thing that's been a surprise has been how many candidates were able to recover that would have been screened out of a hiring process because they had inaccurate information on their application or inaccurate information on their profile on Indeed or LinkedIn. It's amazing how many applicant tracking systems and all those AI bots, the other kind of AI bots that don't talk to anybody but look for matches. It's amazing how often those are making, assumptions, making decisions based on bad data. I'll give you an example. Someone who says they have a CDL license and hasn't updated when that license expires might get screened out automatically because the, the rule says if, if the license is expired, we don't want to talk to them. If we chat with them, we can ask them, hey, it says on your profile that your license is expired. Is that accurate? And they go, oh, no, 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 no. I just got it renewed and it expires four years from now. True. Yeah. I mean, who's, go who's going to make a point about updating all the systems where you, where you potentially have left that information? Yeah, I agree with that. So since you've been launching quite recently... What do you believe has been the most important thing in that whole launch process? Like, what did you do to create that momentum? 
So the first thing we did is we kept in touch with a lot of our customers that we had lost and told them about what we're doing. And a lot of them have come back and said, okay, this is a really, really good fit for us. We, we really like this. We've also done a little bit of strategic communication with different influencers out there that, that are helping companies redesign their candidate experience. And yeah. a lot of them are telling their clients, hey, try this, try this out and see if it makes a difference. But probably the most exciting thing, we did an investor update where we got to tell our investors, hey, you know, you guys already written us off as walking dead. Well, we redesigned everything and now we have this really great resurgence happening. Here's what we're doing. We actually had one of our investors who has a 700 employee manufacturing firm call us up after the, the investor presentation and say, I want this for my company. And so when we're starting, you know, those kind of signals just, just get me really excited as an entrepreneur yeah, because it means I'm, I'm making, I'm building something that's going to really make a difference. So that, that really, you know, that's how we know we've got it. Now, now we've got a new problem that we haven't had in a while, which is how do we get the word out about this and, and get ourselves set up to handle onboarding more and more and more customers. And that, that's a good problem. That's one that we want to have. Yeah. It's a lot better problem than product market fit. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, that, these are good signals at the end. And yeah, it's going back to this whole thing of, okay, you can prepare people for failure. You can also prepare, have to prepare sometimes people for success. Like, what does it really mean when things take off? What is the expectation on your shoulders here? I'm a little paranoid. I'm a little paranoid. So whenever things start going well, I start going, okay, what, what's going to go wrong next and trying to really protect the success. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And the thing, keep, keeping your finger on the pulse. So we talked a little bit before the call about my book, The Remarkable Effect. And I mean, you've been in the business for a while and being the CEO of the company, I always want to understand or get a view from your perspective. What do you believe is required to build a software business that people keep talking about? Any suggestions or any anecdotes from your I have, experience? I have, two, I have two suggestions for anybody wanting to build a successful software business. First of all is... Even though you're making technology, people make it and you need, you need to find great people. You need to retain great people. And when people are leaving your company, that is a signal that you're doing something dreadfully wrong. The second thing that, that I would tell anybody building a software company that, that is just so critical is listen to your customers, make your engineers get out of the office and go meet with customers. Let people see what the real problems your customers are dealing with every day really are, and then prioritize making those problems go away for your customers. Just by doing that, you're able to call them. You know, I go back to us and, and our resurgence came from making the solution we knew would fit with our customers and then going back to them and saying, hey, that problem we saw you were having with engagement with these candidates. What if we could have every one of your applicants talk to a live person every time? Would that help you? And of course, they're going, okay, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Okay, we'll show you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But the key was listening to what the customers really were saying. And that's the hardest thing in the world for a lot of really brilliant people to do because yeah. we all think we're smarter than everybody else and so brilliant. And the reality of it is so many great ideas just go in one ear and out the other. And, and it's, it's hard to stop those ideas between your ears. Exactly. It's listening with intent rather than listening with the intent to answer immediately because you think you know the answer. Actually, we had an end user on the call, someone who is paralyzed in his back, so he can't walk. And so he's uh -huh. very much related to, to a company that is creating exkeletons. And he said the most frustrating thing 
that I'm dealing with here is that they ask me what I want, then I explain what I want, and then they say that's not a good idea. Well, then don't ask me, right? <laughs> it's all about, like, do you listen? What is it really about? Because if people say, this, this is what I want, it's the experience what I want, and so on, you start thinking about this is not possible. Well, think again, you know? Think harder. Yeah, it, well, it's, I it's think also- that. What do, what, do I, what do I want is asking somebody that. That's a very hard question to listen to the answer to because yeah. you've got to really drill into the, what they say next and understand it completely. And, and True. a simple thing could, could be really, really complicated behind the scenes. And I, I could totally see that with an exoskeleton. You know, I want something simple. I want to be able to walk up the stairs over there as an example. That's a simple thing to say, but to deliver that to the engineers is a lifetime of work, right? Exactly. Yeah. But who cares? Yeah. You can create something else. Well, but they, they don't want that. Well, he was that's literally, right. He was literally, yeah, literally, he was literally yeah, you're going to solve the problem. Solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because yeah, he was literally saying, you don't get me out of my wheelchair. I w- of course I want to walk, but I'm fine as well in my wheelchair because that's what I've learned to live with as well. So there's an alternative. And that's what giving these people, how stupid as, as it is, the freedom and et cetera, to, to, do their, to do the thing anyway. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And that was, of course, a very extreme example, but an example that resonated because, yeah, it's, it's changing the life of these people. You give them back some dignity and some, some freedom again. Tone, I didn't, tell, I didn't tell you this, but my father was in a wheelchair for almost his entire adult life. And I got to live with a lot of that. And I could totally see where a, a little thing that someone in a wheelchair asks being very hard for somebody who is not in a wheelchair to even understand the reasoning and, and the why and all of that. The one thing that we never do when we listen to people about ideas is, you know, we say it, but it's almost impossible to do, which is to, you know, walk a mile in their shoes or if they're in a wheelchair, roll a mile on their wheels. Yeah. But it, it's hard to do that. And so much magic happens as an entrepreneur when you listen. Amen. <laughs> so what's inspiring me in this case from the call is because you started like, okay, this is how we started. This is how it took off. Then COVID hit 80% dip in revenue. So I, I normally want to ask something like, what was your biggest obstacle to overcome? Well, I mean, the obvious thing, of course, is like, okay, that, that 80% dip. But was there anything in that, in all of the, Everything that comes to you and all the fear that you get, like, okay, this could go completely sideways. Was there anything that was more difficult than the other to solve? When I look back on everything we went through, the hardest thing in all of this was that we held on to what we were doing originally for too long. We did our first little foray into doing chat in 2018. And had we been paying attention to that, we could have made the pivot that we ended up making because we got an extreme slap in the face from the market with COVID. If we had been listening right now, you know, I almost hate to say this and I hope none of my investors are listening, but if we had heard that from the market two, three years ago, it's almost frightening to think about how successful this, this would already be. The good news is we're, we're getting a second chance. Yeah. Yeah, of course. But yeah, it could very well be. I mean, not many companies get to deal with 80% dip in revenue in one month. So that's really, really a challenge. Of course, everybody's thinking about the obvious industries, but recruitment is something you don't even think about. Like you think about hotels and you think about travel and 
But recruitment is universal, and it was a universal right. stop. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, and, and with that came universal stop spending money on it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what have you put in place right now to prevent this from ever happening again? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> First off, you know, I never in my life thought I would be dealing with a viral pandemic. You know, something that just was almost a ludicrous idea that we would have the same problem we had with, you know, Spanish flu in modern day times. So I, I had no plan for a pandemic, but what I did did learn from all this is probably the best way to be prepared is to really focus on making sure what you're doing is business critical. I think back on it and had we had our chat solution in place already before COVID yeah. hit, it would have been a catalyst for us doing even more business than we're doing because the value on this went up with COVID, yeah. you know, and So I think that's really kind of the lesson is if you're doing something that's valuable, it will become more valuable when resources are lean. If you're doing something that's extra, it will be extra when things are lean and probably get cut. True. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the beginning of my book where I draw my, my well, in the meantime, famous triangle. The three questions that I always ask for making any decision and they work for everything. Is it valuable? Is it urgent slash critical? And can you exceed expectations on the thing? And if one of the answers is no, start again. And you're, you're hitting that exact point that it needs to be business critical because if it's valuable to, for someone, doesn't mean that it's urgent or high on their, on their priority list. That's where business critical comes in. That's right on. Yeah, exactly. So what are you most proud of in this whole experience that you've been going through for the last couple of months to get back from? Do you have customer anecdotes that's really showed you... What could be? Yeah. So a couple of things that have happened. So one of our customers came to us and goes, could we use your chat tech to do, recruit students at a university instead of employees? And we kind of looked at that and go, that's out of our target market. We probably don't want to do it. And then they kept asking and we go, okay, let's go ahead and let them try. And probably one of the coolest things that happened, the colleges got hammered by COVID. A lot of students didn't go back and everybody's enrollment was down. And this particular college was able to, they just went back to all their students and chatted them up and said, you know, you were interested in attending our college last year. Are you still interested in enrolling? And then when people responded to that message, they started chatting with them about how to get them back in. And they were able to backfill all the students that hadn't enrolled. And so we're like, hey, wait a minute, this is really, really good. That was really interesting moment. So the product we built for one market looks like it'll fit into another one, which is really cool. We're staying focused on recruiting mostly, but that was interesting. And then the other part that was really, really good, one of our customers came back that had been with us and stayed with us through all the COVID and pointed out that they recruit hazmat drivers, which are people with CDL license that drive gasoline tankers. And they reported that they were saving 525 hours a month of recruiter time because our chat teams were doing such a good job of screening out unqualified and unengaged candidates and their recruiters were able to focus on the ones that they really wanted to hire. So those kind of two things really were exciting and really kind of fuel for the fire, if you will. And, you know, it hasn't been all great news. You know, we've had lots of things where we've had, you know, product problems where something was broken or whatever, but really those moments where you get a real, real shot of clarity about, Hey, this is really good. And we love it. That, that really helps keep, keep the juices flowing. I've yeah, also sure. been really proud of our people. I've been really proud of our people who have been with us through COVID 
because we've changed nearly 100% of this business and they've tracked with it. You know, usually when you make big changes in a business, you have some turnover where people leave and really the team is mostly intact. You know, if you look at who was here in April of last year and who is here right now, they're the same people. And that's, that's really, really exciting to me that they're seeing the value in what we're doing and, and wanting to stay on board as we, we transition through all of us. Yeah. So what has been your strategy to keep everybody energized or to actually increase that energy? I try to keep everybody involved day to day in helping build the product. And, yeah. and one of the big things that we changed last year is our approach to how we, how we build our software. And we, we got away from, I don't want this was almost kind of the imperial engineer model where the engineers went and thought of everything and then, then came back and I have built this thing that will do this and this. And then everybody would look at it and go, this is just really weird. And I, I don't know how to use it. And, and we switched that model over to one where we would go to our, our chat team and go, if I did this, would this help you? And then they would go, well, yeah, it would. But if you did it this way, it would help me more than if you did it that way. And we really listened carefully to what everybody was telling us. And by doing that, what happened is everybody got involved in building the product. And everybody's in, you know, they would go, we do a product meeting on a Friday. And then the next Friday, they would be looking in the product and seeing their ideas, you know, on their screen working. And that got everybody really, really, really excited and got them thinking about how do I make this thing better? And I, I think in a lot of software companies, we forget that there's a lot more smart people in our companies than just the developers and just the architects sure. and engineers. And a lot of the people that are in sale that are selling or a lot of the people that are supporting our product are closer to the customer and closer to some of those little ideas that can be the difference between having 10 users and having 10,000 users. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I make a couple of arguments in my book also about like you need to kind of have the basics right. Check, of course. But then we typically on the engineering side focus on filling the gaps rather than creating the peaks. The peaks are at the end about the magical moments. And that's exactly the, the insights that you can, can get from customers that are all making our, that's all about making the difference to support them in those areas where it really matters and create those moments where people talk about. That's where you get your flywheel. Yeah. It makes a real difference. And, and, and the thing that's really been fun for me is just been watching all the employees, all the other the non-developers in the company get really get on board and get involved and, it helps a lot because when you're building software, sometimes there are parts of the software that aren't finished where you're, you're maybe doing something manually to make up for that. And when everybody is involved in building it, it makes those times a lot easier to deal with. And everybody understands, okay, we're going to do this for a couple of days while the development team gets this piece in place for us. And it lets us try out ideas without having to invest in coding those ideas and allows us to kind of prototype things, try them out, see if they work and then make it. And so you end up making the right thing the first time instead of making the wrong thing and then assuming it was a bad idea. Yeah, I think I frustrated about it and have to ditch it. Yeah. Yep. So from your experience being the CEO of the company and you're well, kind of further going back further in your career, what are some key lessons learned or pieces of advice that you've received that, that you could share with, with other CEOs? The do's and the don'ts. Like what is a do and what is a don't? So- do always make sure that whatever you're, you're going to make, be it a company or be it a product, is something that people will buy before you make it. 
go test the market before you make something. Just far too many big mistakes and are made by assuming that people will buy it. We'll pick on what was the one that the little video thing, Quibi, that, that came out a year ago and then flamed out rather famously and billions of dollars invested and ended up getting sold for like 10 or 20 million to another media company. But a lot of those bad assumptions come from not testing whether the market will actually buy the thing you're going to build. And I just see far so many bad situations, both for, for the company and for the investors and for the customers that come from, from that. And then the instinct we all have to be successful makes it so when we are wrong, it's very, very hard to admit it and go, this, this product isn't working out. Yeah. Solution. Technology looking for a problem. And the don't. Mm -hmm. So the don't do? Yeah, I, I think really the, yeah, yeah. So big thing to not do is to really build something without testing it first. So, you know, find out that you can sell it, then make a prototype of it and test to see if it actually will sell and that people are going to be happy with it. We did that with our original product. We got through that okay. But I think as we got that product, you know, like we stuck with it for a couple of years longer than we should have because we kept trying to fix it. And the reality is that the market was telling us, hey, do it a different way. Well, I think the, the other part was maybe also that it was a nice to have rather than a business critical thing. Yeah. I think, and I think right. that, that, that advice came earlier on and that's one to really keep, keep top of mind. So what is next for you? Where do you want to take this new company in the next 12 months? <laughs> so real simple philosophy on that, which is, you know, I, I don't try to look too far down the road. And I just try to focus on what's right ahead of me. And I'm a you know, military veteran, so I kind of look at things from the standpoint of can we take the next bridge or not? And for us, the next bridge is going to be growth. You know, it's going to be can we get our, our revenue from where we're at to where we're you know, doing a million to a million and a half in revenue in 2021? Are we on, on track for that? And the answer to that is if we keep it up, we'll be done with that by summer, if not before then. So that tells me that's good. So the next step is, you know, do we go raise more money and get bigger or do we merge with someone else or sell the company? And some of those kind of questions you just can't answer unless there an opportunity emerges. Selling the company is one that depends on the offer. But I think in this case, we're probably in a situation where we're going to be able to grow this thing. We got to go a few more months before we really are comfortable with that. And I think we'll be able to go potentially raise a little more money and get a little bigger. And then, you know, then we'll look down the road and go, can we take the next bridge? Yeah. Yeah. I like that analogy. Well, to find out more about what you're doing as a company, where can people go to find out more about Pivot CX or to say hi to you? Okay. Well, to find more about Pivot CX, go to pivotcx.io. And then if you would like to connect with me, uh, you're always welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, Mike Seidel, I'm really easy to find. Good. Well, thank you very much. This was, yeah, I mean, I like the energy of it. And of course... This is an example of what, yeah, what happens as well. You know, it's not all, every company is like going skyrocket. We're not all uni unicorns, but it's, but I <laughs> admiring you is, yeah, how do you say that? The resilience to, yeah, take action, well, pivot, find a new sweet spot and execute on it to make it happen. There's a really good saying about, and maybe this is one you'll, you could share a little bit, but one thing when it comes to building a business is the key is build a good team, and then keep it on the field long enough it can win. Far too often, we go build businesses and we, we don't keep it on the field long enough for it to be successful. You know, you get a collection of really brilliant people and 
the clock, you let the clock run out on them. And if they'd been around doing it for just a little longer, the magic would have happened. And I, yeah. I think that that's something that we all kind of underrate. We're all trying to, you know, fail fast and all that. When you get a really, really good team, it might take a, a little while for them to gel, but when they do, you're going to have a winner. True. Yeah. It's all about people at the end. Yeah. Thanks. These were wise words to finish. Well, thank, with. You. thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it and just hope you have a great year this year and hopefully we all get past this COVID thing, right? Exactly. All right. That's the goal. Thanks. And this ends my conversation with Mike. And I hope you enjoyed it. If so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Mike Seidel, co-founder and CTO of Pivot CX. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.